So we're doing uh, Songs of Summer and Songs and Stories of Summer uh, series in the Psalms and then uh, pairing those with testimonies. Uh, this morning uh, we turn to Psalm 85. First join me in this prayer for illumination. We pray together, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And then if you'll turn to Psalm 85, and uh, it wouldn't hurt to leave it open. Psalm 85, listen then for the voice of God. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and you covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned, turned from your fierce anger. So restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again? that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what, the Lord, to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. For love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord indeed will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. The word of the Lord. On a late summer night with a hint of autumn at the edges, my daughter and I caught the train to see Wilco at the Pritzker Pavilion in Millennium Park. As the sky went dark, the skyline lit up and all the colors of the city were mashed on those brushed metallic shapes soaring above the stage. The sound was exquisite, the sky cloudless, the air crisp, the show sold out, and the crowd was trendy, cool, and self-absorbed. And with my daughter sitting beside me, texting a boy and tolerating my musical tastes, she was in high school at the time, life felt rich full and good, abundant. For those of you who don't know by now, Wilco is a scruffy Chicago-based rock and roll band fronted by Jeff Tweedy. The, they play a sort of alternative Americana dissonant white guy dad rock. That's a category. I've lost track of how many times I've seen them. 
Midway through the show, Wilco began a song with this gentle melody that rose to this cataclysmic, noisy climax and then fell away to a barely voiced whisper. Searching for home, searching for home, searching for home via Chicago. I'm coming home, I'm coming home, I'm coming home via Chicago. And hushed and holy, the crowd of 11,000 sang along. Now, I'm not a hand raiser in church, but my hands went up. <laughs> as tears welled up with deep thanksgiving for the sheer beauty of it all. My daughter, the music, the night, the city, the overwhelmingly, it was all overwhelmingly graceful as a crowd of young professionals sang of their search for home. And maybe that reads too much into the lyrics and the moment, but it felt like a hymn sing for those trying to find healthy, honest relationships, a sense of purpose, something bigger than themselves, and a place to belong. In a word, it was a mighty chorus longing for shalom. Biblically understood, shalom is more than a feeling and far more than the absence of conflict. Shalom is defined as universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fully employed, all under the arc of God's love. And on a summer night, on a lawn between the lake and the towering city of man, it felt like we were singing of our longing for shalom, searching for home, searching for home. Psalm 85 is a song of shalom. Consider. Biblical scholars think that this psalm was written after the Israelites returned home from Babylonian captivity. This is a post-exilic psalm. As one writer puts it, the prophet of the exile, second Isaiah, imbued the exiles with hope and expectancy. However, upon their return to Jerusalem, there ensued a number of disappointments and the spirit of the restoration community was deflated. Therefore, with their homecoming hopes unfulfilled and their expectations not met, worried that they were still being punished, the poet acknowledges that disappointment and yet still pleads that God will restore us again and revive us again. Now, the service of reconciliation, the section of our worship liturgy, typically opens with the reminder of what 
of God's nature or God's activity in the past. And we're then free to name our sin with the assurance that God is merciful. We don't confess out of fear. We confess out of faith. And likewise, the psalmist calls for revival and a fresh expression of God's mercy because what God has done before. So those first four verses are, they've come back, things aren't as good as they thought they were. God, revive us again. Now, I think there's, a, there's a, an essential build, biblical building block here. We seek forgiveness. We live with faith, and we hope in the future because of God's activity in the past. We pray for restoration and revival because of who God has been before. So this morning... In a partly post-pandemic world, in a time of economic anxiety, when church can feel like a proxy for culture wars, when we disagree, disappoint, and splinter, when our expectations are unfulfilled, when things are cloudy and hopes are dim, we join the psalmist in praying for restoration and revival because of what God has done in the past. Revive us again that your people may rejoice in you. Show your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Amen. So there's a subtle shift in the second half of the psalm that's muted in the English translation. The psalmist announces that he or she will listen to what God the Lord says when he promises peace, promises shalom. See verse 8. And then a few verses later, Shalom is spoken. See verse 10. Verse 8, I will listen. Verse 10, this is now shalom being spoken. The opening lines remind us what God, have done, what God has done. The pivot here is to listening to God speak shalom. So, about 23 years ago, I walked into a therapist's office looking for counsel in how to help a family going through an ugly divorce. By the end of that hour, the therapist had me talking about my issues and asking if we could continue our conversation. That initial meeting has led to a 23-year relationship, I'm still not fixed, a mutually enriching friendship and life-changing help in my life. 
Early on in therapy, my therapist friend asked if I'd experienced my father's blessing. Given our complicated history, given his murder when we were both young, did I know my father's blessing? Had I heard him speak blessing into my life? When a father or mother speaks blessing into their children's lives, it's not just a well-meaning word or a compliment or a pat on the head. But the words themselves or the communication confers a certain reality. The words represent or confirm what is. In their speaking, the reality of blessing and its implications are made real. In their speaking, the words of blessing, the reality of the blessing and its implications are made real. In a similar fashion, the psalmist is listening for God to speak shalom, to confer shalom, and in doing so, make its implications real. And God speaks, saying, this is verse 10, love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. The Westminster Confession of Faith of the 1640s lists about 30 attributes of God. It's an impressive list. There's lots to count and lots to consider. And that noble list tries to magnify and maximize our understanding of God. But there's something systematic and sterile in that. It's sort of like an abstraction about love rather than the lived experience of loving someone. The psalmist doesn't offer here a defining list of shalom, but rather there's this dynamic, robust, and active picture of shalom. God's hesed, steadfast love, God's steadfast love and faithfulness embrace. God's righteousness and peace kiss. And then the poet utilizes an image in which two contrasting or complementary parts are cited to imply the whole. God's faithfulness will spring up from the earth. God's righteousness will look down from heaven and all creation from soil to sky, will be the stage for God's shalom. And so to a post-exilic, discouraged people, 
This is the picture of God's character and promise. And there's not a bigger stage or a fuller picture. God will speak shalom and it will be realized in creation. And look, it's also worth noting that when Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes to the Colossians, he proclaims that all of this fullness, all of this, dwells in Jesus Christ. He puts it this way. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things in heaven or things in earth, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. On the cross. Or John writes, the word became flesh and lived among us and we have seen his glory, the glory, the fullness, the glory, the weight, the fullness of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. So, dear friends, outside of their taste in music, there wasn't anything special about that crowd gathered one summer's eve at Millennium Park. And my guess is <laughs> that very few connected singing along with Wilco to longing for God's shalom. But in a world where young men with military weapons kill students in classrooms, families at parades, and old women at church, where creation's resources are plundered, where the scales of an equitable economic economy are out of whack, where war terrorizes, and the lived experience of God can seem missing or, or marred. The longing for shalom seems plausible. There is something deep inside of us that wants things to be made right. Not just the saving of the souls of those who get it right, but the restoration, the renewal, Reclamation, revival, and redemption of creation. In a word, the shalom of all creation. And at a time of disappointment, now, at a time of disappointment when things aren't what they, we hoped or expected, the psalmist voiced that longing for God to speak shalom. The good news, my friends, is that I'm almost done. But the good news is that God in Christ continues speaking shalom. Today we hear whispers, but one day love and faithfulness will embrace, righteousness and peace will kiss, and from earth's crust to heaven's farthest corner, shalom will fill creation. Thanks be to God. And until that day, 
may we be agents of shalom. Until that day, may we bear witness to shalom. Until that day, may we follow the way and the will of shalom. And until that day, may we join a mighty chorus. For as the psalmist writes, I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises shalom to his people. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Amen.